0: this is my journey inspired one story at a time a library of leaders was created it began as a journey to learn as time went on it began to grow all it needed was a platform and this podcast was created to listen to inspire to share i am a storyteller and this is my journey Welcome to another episode of Profiles in Leadership. I'm your host, Steve Anderson, and today our guest is Ryan Lavernway, who is a former Major League Baseball catcher, currently working as a keynote speaker and leadership coach. Over his 15-year career, Ryan represented eight different teams in Major League Baseball, including the 2013 World Series champion Boston Red Sox. He also proudly represented Israel internationally in both the World baseball classic and the Olympics which earned him recognition in the Southern California Jewish Sports Hall of Fame in 2019. Ryan began his journey to the majors as a standout at Yale University. In 2007 he became the NCAA batting champion by hitting an impressive 467 and set a new Ivy League record with a 25 game hitting streak. He also holds the Ivy League all-time career home run record with 34. Drafted by the Boston Red Sox in 2008, Ryan quickly established himself as a powerful hitter being named to multiple minor league all-star teams and earning the Minor League Offensive Player of the Year twice. After his big league debut in 2011, Ryan continued to excel on the field, setting multiple Major League Baseball and franchise records. Internationally, he earned MVP recognition for his play in the World Baseball Classics and was named to be the first ever captain of Team Israel ahead of the 2023 European Championships. Ryan is a dynamic coach and a speaker with a wealth of knowledge and experience to draw upon. He brings a unique perspective to his work, combining his passion for baseball with his personal journey and experiences. Uh, This was a really fun interview. Ryan uh, uh, is just uh, Got a lot of passion, and I think you'll hear uh, uh, work ethic and hard work uh, throughout this this interview. Uh, it's what he believes in, and it's what brought him success. Uh, he's had some amazing experiences with a World Series ring, and also some international experience as well. There's been a lot of analogies always made with leadership in sports and sports, and and I think they're they're effective and they're true. But here's someone who's lived both sides of it, so I think he can really uh, share with us what works and what doesn't work, and uh, what it takes to be resilient. When you hear how many times he was uh, told no, uh, but he's kept going with a 15-year career in Major, major League Baseball, I think it's truly amazing. So uh, I think you'll enjoy Ryan. Great guy, a lot of energy. Uh, we can learn a lot from this uh, this amazing leader. So uh, sit back, enjoy, and uh, let's hear what Ryan has to show us. Thank you. Ryan, welcome to the program. It's really great to have you on today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Steve.
0: So let's just kind of uh, start off by giving a little context here. Uh, why don't you tell us uh, where you grew up?
1: Grew up in Southern California, Los Angeles County.
0: Okay, and uh, you uh, then went all the way across the country to uh, uh, Yale University, is that correct?
1: That's right, Yale um Yale University, not known for the Yale University baseball team.
0: Yeah, so tell us a little <laughs> bit about how you uh, were—you always a baseball nut, and you just wanted to,
1: to really pursue that. Did you do a lot of other
0: sports? So why choose baseball?
1: For me, it was—I got started when I was five years old. My dad always played, so I was raised going to his baseball and softball games. I was always around it, and then actually, when I was in kindergarten my teacher told my parents that I wasn't very good at sharing and they should get me involved in team sports. So my parents, I just think naturally brought me out to baseball because that's what my dad loved. And I took to it right away. And the rest is history.
0: Oh, that's great. So, uh, you went to uh, Yale university, as we discussed earlier, and, and you played on the baseball team there. And, uh, one highlight that I, I saw here, this is you hit, uh, 467 at Yale, which led the NCAA in 2007. That's pretty impressive. So, tell us a little bit about your experience with uh, baseball at at Yale University.
1: Yeah, was that was a pretty that was a pretty fun year, my sophomore year. Um, That really started for me at the end of my freshman year when I spoke with our volunteer assistant hitting coach. His name's Glenn Longarini, and I saw our first baseman Mark Sawyer who was a friend and a mentor on the team of mine. He had won all Ivy league first baseman. And I I thought that was a pretty cool award. I hadn't ever known that they give that award away or, or anything like it. And I told, I told coach Glenn, I want to win all Ivy league by the time I graduate. And I thought it was a good thing to set a goal and, and try to be the best in my position in the league. And I'll never forget what he said and how he made me feel in that moment he, he kind of shook his head and he looked at me and said, you don't even see it yet, do you? Um, because I had played very average as a freshman, but he saw this potential in me that I, ha- I didn't even see in myself yet at the time. He said, you should be all American. Forget about all Ivy league. If, if you're not all American, by the time you graduate, I'll be disappointed in you. And it just really, it like made my head explode with possibilities. And it also made my stomach sink at the weight of what he thought was possible at the same time. Um, and once I, I set that as my new goal, it really pushed me to, to do more and to work harder than I had ever done before and go after this, this bigger goal.
0: Isn't it amazing
1: how, you know, I've
0: talked to, you know, tons of leaders and professional athletes and, and, and a lot of times it does come back to something that somebody says or somebody you respect that, takes an interest in you or somebody that pushes you to the next level and uh, a lot of people do identify with that 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 one moment or that one person that really makes a big difference
1: yeah i think it's really important um it happened also before that even in high school because when i was five years old i decided i wanted to play in the major leagues right and i think there's plenty of five-year-olds out there that decide crazy outrageous dreams like that Right. That there's a ninety nine point nine nine percent chance that it's not going to happen. But if you really identify with it and it really becomes who you are, then that that's an amazing thing. And if you're lucky enough to have parents that that push you and believe in you and don't tell you that your dream is crazy, then maybe you will be an astronaut or a firefighter or a surgeon or a a scientist, whatever. Um, But then when I got to high school, I was young for my grade and I was a late bloomer and none of the facts of my life were supporting this crazy dream that I was going to make it to the major leagues. Uh, <laughs> I was a very slow runner. Uh, I had a very average arm. My defense sucked, uh, and the only thing that I could do was I could hit a little bit, but I was so small for my grade that I didn't have any power, and I can, I can look back now and see a turning point where I had a, a really great conversation with my high school coach uh, that opened my mind uh, but at the time it wasn't it wasn't a lightning bolt moment it wasn't a turning point on a dime like i can look back at it now uh, it was my senior year of high school our our coach his name was Matt Lacour and he was two time la times coach of the year for the state of california and this guy was the type of coach that you know steve maybe you've had before or maybe you've seen in the movies the guy that like pounds you and pounds you and pounds you and gets the best out of you, even though you don't like it. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's the guy that, that yells and yells and yells and makes you run sprints even after you won the game. Cause you should have won by more, right? You know, this guy, Yeah, never satisfied. Right. So, so he was at, he was looking around practice and he said, who's going to hit fourth for us this year. And, and Steve, I don't know if you're a baseball guy, but the fourth hitter is the best player on the team. And I knew, in my bones at the time, I was not the best hitter on the team. So I was like, not me, but I'm going to raise my hand anyway, because I'm desperate for this man's attention. And what I expected him to say was, no, it's probably one of the eight other guys that are carryovers from varsity from the year before. Maybe it's one of the two players that pro scouts are coming to look at every day Uh, because I expected him to confirm all of the, the things that I knew about myself where I thought I wasn't good enough, all my self doubts, right? I'm too slow. My arm's not good enough. My defense sucks. And I don't have power yet. Um, But instead this coach that would never pander to anybody that would never tell anybody what they wanted to hear. All he did was he kind of looked at me across his arms and he said, why not you Ryan? Why couldn't it be you? And then he walked away casually. Like, like it was the easiest conversation in the world for him to have. And over the next weeks and months, when I started comparing myself to others, I heard his voice echo in my head of, well, why not you? And then when a big-time situation came up in the game and I was nervous, I heard him again, why not you? And then when, when scouts started noticing me instead of just my teammates, well, well why not you? And what it, what it did was it allowed me to, to kind of untether my identity to where I had started feeling like I wasn't good enough from, from being a small for my grade and, and younger than the other players uh, and identifying with being slow or a bad arm or bad defense. Uh, and I could re identify with that five year old that said, No, I'm going to make it to the major leagues. And his, his three word question of, Why not you? really freed my mind to start going after what was possible.
0: Yeah, that's a great story. I mean, it's just, you, you got to believe. There's no question you got to believe. And um, yeah, it just begs the question does that mean that those that don't make it just don't believe enough? Or, you know, I'm sure in professional sports, there has to be a certain amount of, you know, physicality and, and ability and strength and speed and all that you talked about to make it uh, and the belief. But I, I think it's just really interesting. You have to believe or, or you won't make it. That's a guarantee.
1: Well, the, the things that I've noticed about my own life and career is that when you're looking for something, you find it. When you're when you're looking for reasons to believe. When you're looking for reasons to believe that you're not good enough, you're going to find them. And they're always there, especially in sports, especially in any competitive field. If 99% of people can't do it, it's easy to find reasons why you can't. But if you start looking for reasons you can, you start asking yourself, well, why not me? Or why not go for more? Why not go for All-American? Then you start to see opportunities not only in your ability but also in the work that you could do to get there. because when Coach LaCour in high school said, why not you? Well, I started going to the gym at 5 a.m. instead of 6 a.m. with the team. So then I was at the gym an extra hour before all my classmates before high school. And I started looking at video of my swing. And then when Coach Glenn in college started said, why not more? Why not go for All-American instead of All-Ively? Well, then I started pushing even harder. I started watching videos of, of the best in the world and how they were doing it. And then I started following through on these crazy ideas that I never even would have considered before. Like our strength coach mentioned a, a form-fitting weight vest you could wear under your clothes. That made me feel like it was Dragon Ball Z, the cartoon show where they, they train in weighted clothing, right? It's, it sounds, it sounds kind of crazy, but I did it. I bought this weight vest that had 21-pound steel plates in it, and I could wear it under my shirt, and I wore it every minute I was awake for two months during the fall semester so that I was training even when I was at class, even when I was at the club dancing with my teammates and my classmates. Like I was training even when I wasn't training because I had this bigger goal, right? Why not more? And then I worked so hard. I put so much extra effort in that when it came time to perform, performing well was an afterthought. I knew that I deserved to play well. I knew that I had earned it already, but all the extra work that I put in, like that only came because I had the bigger goal in mind because I was already looking for ways to get to that bigger goal.
0: Yeah, that's that's great. So now you're at Yale. Did you go all four years at Yale, or did you uh, get drafted and go into the Major League Baseball earlier than that?
1: Uh, for baseball, once you step on campus at a four-year, you have to do a minimum of three, and I got drafted after my junior year.
0: Okay. And tell us a little bit about that. Who drafted you and, and what was that first experience like uh, being in Major League Baseball?
1: The Boston Red Sox drafted me in the sixth round of the 2008 first year player draft. Um, they had won the World Series the year before. So it was the defending world champion of Boston Red Sox. And I went to short season, single A, advanced rookie ball, uh, and then to spring train, minor league spring training the next year. And was in the minors for three and a half years, uh, trying to work my way up.
0: And you're a catcher, is that correct? Yes. Okay. And uh, so then, uh, trying to work your way up, and you did make it up. So uh, when did that happen, and and what were the circumstances around that?
1: I did. I was. I played my way through the minors. I had you saw some ups and downs. Uh, I definitely had some tough conversations with coaches where. At times, I wasn't good enough. My my defense, my speed were, were holding me back. And then I, I started to hit. I leaned into those, those mantras of why not you and why not more that I had found in high school and college. And I made it my goal to win minor league player of the year. And I won minor league hitter of the year three years in a row. And in 2011, August, I got called up when the Red Sox were playing in Kansas City.
0: Great. And so uh was that the year they they won the series as well?
1: no the that was the year that uh the Red Sox blew a 15 game lead in the division in the last month of the season. Oh shoot <laughs> yeah that was <laughs> it was an interesting time to get called up to the Red Sox. Yeah, definitely. okay, but there
0: you did play on a team that uh, when they won the championship, right?
1: Yes, two years later 2013. Uh, it was the the season where the Boston bombings happened and then the team, the city, everyone really rallied around uh, Boston strong and we brought the World Series championship back to Boston.
0: Wow, that's got to be, uh, I mean, talk about a five-year-old's dream. I mean, uh, being on a team that wins the World Series, that's even uh, fewer fewer and fewer people get, get that
1: experience. Yeah, that was, that was something special. And when you play on a team like that, you really realize that no matter how grand your personal goals, no matter how much you want to accomplish on your own, there's so much more that you can accomplish when you have a group of like-minded people that are willing to fight against the odds, no matter how big they are.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, I also read that you were uh, with eight different teams in Major League Baseball over your career.
1: Eight in the majors and uh, 11 uh, in the minors or the majors, yes. And, and
0: I also read in that same uh, um, time that there were like, you know, 26 different times that you were either sent down or released or traded. Um, you talk about resilience. Uh, that's got to be just uh, uh, a tough thing to, to keep your head strong and, and keep trying to contribute when you're being uh, moved around a lot.
1: Yeah, Steve. I, I compare getting sent down from the major leagues to being fired from my dream job. Yeah. So
0: how do you do that when, since, you know, we're talking about leadership here, you know, when you join a team, how do you connect with other players and then walk into, you know, some type of a leadership role as the new guy?
1: There's, there's definitely a level of, of trust that needs to be built. Every time you go to a new team, you don't walk in the door as the leader or trying to, trying to claim that you are the leader until you, you earn it. Right. I think anything that comes with with leadership, people need to first know what they can expect from you. They need to know that you're going to show up as the same guy every day, whether things are going good or going bad. They need to know who they're dealing with. Uh, they also need to know that you care about them and that you you have the same goals and the same end in mind of what you're going for. On a baseball field, you're trying to win, right? You're trying to win games. You're trying to get call-ups if you're in the minor leagues. You're trying to win a World Series. Uh, if you're in the big leagues, some players are, are playing for contracts, endorsements, uh, to stay alive, to extend their career, to not get sent down themselves. There's a, there's a lot that goes on. There's a lot that goes into it. So, number one, you get to a new team, you make a good first impression, and then you start to build trust. And that's the number one thing.
0: And as a catcher, is it kind of like the quarterback in football where are you expected to be a leader as a catcher or um, or not necessarily?
1: Yeah, no, I think, I think it goes with the position in some regards, especially with the pitching staff, because the, the pitcher catcher relationship is one that I don't know that there's an, another comparable relationship in sports. Ultimately the pitcher is the most important player on the field. The, the pitcher controls the ball. It's the only sport in which the defense puts the ball in play. The defense has the ball, the pitcher, even though, many modern baseball fans and analysts would argue that the wins and losses that stat doesn't matter anymore, but the wins and losses for the team end up getting pinned on the, on the pitcher that wins or loses the game. And they have to, they have to live with the results of the ball that comes out of their hand. But ultimately the catcher is calling the game and whether the pitcher allows the catcher to call the game or the catcher makes suggestions that the pitcher agrees to or or doesn't, the catcher has a huge impact on what pitches get thrown. And the catcher is really the the pitcher's only lifeline out on the field that they work so closely together uh, that the catcher ends up having to build a lot of trust and really be a leader for the entire pitching staff.
0: And I can imagine that uh, just like in business or any part of life, uh, there's different personalities, there's different – um, you know, moods, there's, the, you know, the, the pitchers are just, they're, they're humans, and, and especially, I don't know if this is true, but a lot of people think pitchers are a little quirky anyway. So uh, you have to really, um, really work that, uh, that, that communication and, and those, those leadership skills to, to, to work uh, together as a, as a team.
1: Yeah, pitch, I mean, pitchers are human beings, just like every other player and person on the planet. They could have a, a great fastball or a great breaking pitch, a great change up, Uh, but it's the the catcher's job to make sure that you're actually playing the game, paying attention to what is working that day. What is happening that day? Because as a human being, you have your best stuff some days and you don't other days, you have emotions going on the field. You might have stuff going on at home. You might not feel confident. You might not feel rested. I know that as a catcher, when I walk out to the mound, some players need me to pump them up, give them confidence, Other players need me to help them calm down and remember to breathe and not be so amped up. Uh, Some players need to be kicked in the butt and challenged uh, and understanding who they are as a person is really, really important. And also having built up the trust off the field so that what you say on the field actually carries some weight.
0: So share with us a real life story of a time when you were catching and and a pitcher was, um, you know, not performing as well as they should or were in trouble, and, and um, you know, you helped him get through that. Is there a specific example you can think of that you can share with us?
1: I mean, I could think of five or six right off the top of my head. From recently, I just played in the, the European Championships. We had an 18-year-old young pitcher who, what, he's he's a shorter person. He's maybe 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, Talk about the physicality that comes with being a professional athlete most of the time. He makes up for that lack of physicality with bravado. He walks around with his chest puffed out, his head held high. He talks real loud. He's got this big personality. And that's how he pitches. He gets on the mound. He's pitching great. And then something goes wrong where he gives up a hit. He gives up an extra base hit, maybe a run. And you see his whole body language deflate. And I could tell right away he needed to be pumped back up. So I went to the mound and this is, this is funny, Steve. You'll, you'll appreciate this. You know, the, the quote when people say there's a difference between Instagram and reality. <laughs> yeah. So I went out there and I told them to pitch with some bravado uh, in the sports world. I, you know, I think I grabbed my, my downstairs area and said pitch with some huevos um, and the cameraman for the tournament got a picture of me in this moment, grabbing my, my downstairs region to encourage this player, uh, to pitch with more gusto, if you will. <laughs> uh, and I, the picture is hilarious of me grabbing my junk uh, and I just cropped it to above the waist for when I posted it online. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, it must've worked. Did he turn around then? And, uh, yeah, he better? turned it around. Yeah. He, he, again, he's the type of guy that needed to be pumped up, uh, to remember who he was pitch with a little bit more bravado and, and once I reminded him of that he, he pitched much better
0: yeah that's, that's great So another thing that you have done in your career too is that you were named captain of Team Israel and, and played for Israel in the in the world baseball classics and the Olympics So uh, how did that come about and, and what was it like playing in the Olympics?
1: Uh, the Olympics is is a crazy experience It is a dream that I never even dared to dream because baseball wasn't in the Olympics for the majority of my professional career. Um, it was, it was interesting because it was the COVID Olympics. So it was an Olympic experience like no other. When we walked in opening ceremonies, we were waving uh, to an empty 100,000 seat arena, which oh, was uh, very crazy. Yeah. Um, but uh, coming, playing for team Israel came about uh, the president of the Israeli association of baseball used the loosened, Entry requirements for the World Baseball Classic, uh, which is you, Steve, or any of your listeners don't know what the World Baseball Classic is. It's the baseball equivalent of the soccer's FIFA World Cup. And they started it because baseball wasn't in the Olympics. And because there was no FIFA World Cup, baseball didn't have a top tier international world's best tournament. So they started one back in, I believe it was 2006 was the first time it was held. Don't, don't hold me to that. Um, but the idea is to help grow the game of baseball around the world and celebrate the talent that comes from every corner of the planet, uh, in order to do that. And in order to give different countries that aren't traditional powerhouses, a chance to compete and have a a team represent them. What this tournament did was it allowed countries to have players represented if players qualified to get citizenship, even if they didn't have an active passport. So the president of Israel baseball said, well, the entry requirements for citizenship of Israel, just say that you have to be Jewish, have one Jewish parent or one Jewish grandparent. So he recruited Jewish American major leaguers and minor leaguers to represent Israel on this baseball team. It was the first baseball team that's ever been put together because the players are Jewish. And it was, it was pretty incredible what we were able to accomplish in that first World Baseball Classic where we ended up finishing sixth in the world.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's, that sounds like a, a really great experience. I mean, the Olympics, we only get to watch them once every four years, but uh, they just seem to have such positive energy around the world. It's, 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 uh, to watch it is, is, is a feel-good thing. I can only imagine what it's like to participate in it.
1: Yeah. So, Steve, you know, we talked before we came on air today about how publicly I, I try to not talk about politics. I don't think it's my place. Uh, I've gone out of my way uh, for my entire career to be an apolitical positive role model. Uh, but what I'll tell you is this, uh, as far as when it comes to sports and especially international competition, I think that sports at its core is where all different cultures and personalities can come together and and meet on an even playing field with defined rules that everyone can agree to uh, and and just come together, enjoy their time together, put differences aside, uh, and and celebrate what can be the best of humanity. And and that's what I really loved about the Olympics. That's what I love about the World Baseball Classic is you put your differences aside uh, for a couple hours, you play a game, you have fun, um, and it's just a really positive experience. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. Now, I think you also had a stint
1: as a broadcaster of, uh, major league baseball as well. Are you still doing that or tell That's right. This, this past year. Yeah. So I just retired from baseball last April, I guess this April, it's still this year. Uh, and I, I walked right into a role with the Colorado Rockies, uh, doing analysis on the pregame and postgame show.
0: And uh, do you like it? Is it your thing? Do you, th- you see yourself uh, self continuing to do
1: that? Yeah, I don't, I don't know that anyone can ever predict the future. I really enjoyed it, and uh, we'll see what comes next. And so now you're
0: uh, doing some uh, coaching in the business world, and and um, does that include sports as well, or are you just focusing mostly on, on business?
1: So, so far what I've done is I've partnered with, with a friend of mine, a family friend, her name is Jackie Easinger, and she has been coaching CEOs on uh, team dynamics and leadership for over 20 years. She, she's a Harvard graduate. She's a Duke graduate. She's got every degree you could ever want for this line of work. And she put her 20 years of experience into writing a book called spark brilliance and then creating a coaching platform and a coaching program called the Spark Brilliance Leadership Accelerator. And she thought that my sports background would be a great addition to the team where I could use my experience of seeing how good or bad team dynamics leads to wins and losses on a daily basis in immensely pressure-packed situations. Because in the the workforce, if you have a bad leader and it leads to a a culturist cancer on your team, oftentimes, you don't know what's going well or what's going poorly on your team until someone leaves. And retention is one of the biggest problems facing the workplace today, retention and burnout also. So she's created this program to help reduce burnout, to help increase retention, and create great team culture uh, for better positive results. And and that's the program that I'm facilitating, the Spark Brilliance Leadership Accelerator, and it's been really really fun and cool to be a part of
0: well, that's awesome you know i think we've all used the sports analogies when we you know talking about teams and performance and teams and it's easy to use that sport analogy but but what have you found that you know combining your experience with sports in the business world um has it been an easy transition that way or or have you found that uh it's 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 different but uh, uh different but similar
1: I found that, that it's definitely different, and the, the members of the executive teams that I, that I work with that love sports think that it is just a great parallel and a great thing for me to be brought on. And the people that don't enjoy sports or don't follow sports at all and would initially be maybe put off by an athlete coming into the executive space They're always brought in right away because everything Jackie teaches and everything in the Spark Brilliance program is backed by the latest research. And that's the biggest thing is if anything that we're teaching or coaching can be backed up by the latest research, then everybody immediately buys in. And they're like, you know what? I can see how that would be true, and I can see why that's important for our team.
0: So I think everybody gets the concept of – you know teamwork, And if we work together as a team and we're all rowing in the same direction and we're all have the same goals, you know, we can accomplish amazing things. But beyond the teamwork aspect, um, you, you know, what is it uh, that, that in your baseball journey that, that you discovered that you think can help lead people in the business world?
1: Well, I think it's so much more. I think it's so much more than like rah-rah, let's go team, because that gets old really quick it starts with authenticity. If you are not honest with yourself, if you're not honest with your, your people, then that shines through and you start to lose people immediately. Steve, you, you really have to be true to yourself. And, and the first thing that comes with that is understanding yourself. So, so part of the spark brilliance program, the first thing that we do uh, as leaders is we have to understand our own leadership style. Uh, and then we have to understand our own communication style and then once you, once you understand who you are and how you communicate, then you can better understand how the other people on your team also are as, as individuals, authentic people, and how they like to communicate, and you can honor the, and leverage the differences. Um, the number one thing uh, that Jackie's program is built around is the Platinum Rule, and if you haven't heard of the Platinum Rule, I'm sure you've heard of the Golden Rule, which is treat other people the way that you would want to be treated right well the platinum rule takes that one step further and when you hit when you hear it you're going to thomp yourself in the forehead and say oh my god it makes so much sense the platinum rule is treat other people the way that they want to be treated because who says that they want to be treated the way that you do
0: yeah absolutely and it sounds like when knowing thy, you know thyself first and then uh understanding how other people uh you know their personality types and whatever it sounds like a Um, you you know, just trying to communicate in a better way. So are you using the DISC profile or other kind of personality tools to help you figure out, um, uh, you know, who everybody is on the teams?
1: The DISC profile is something that they used 10 years ago. Enneagrams is something that also has become, you know, recently popular. We, uh, When we just do do personality assessments, we use the principles assessment, which is, the most recent, most up-to-date research tool. I actually did a three-hour workshop earlier today with an executive team. And it's really, really cool to see how people feel seen and feel understood. And then it's applicable immediately in the workplace.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, tell us a little bit. I also know that uh, you have uh, an approach called the triple play of leadership. So what is the triple play? Explain that to us.
1: So you, you heard you heard the the backstory for for the first and the second outs uh, of the triple play, and that's when when I was in high school and my coach said, "Well, why not you?" To me, that is the first step of leadership is believing in yourself, and that that also is the first step for, for Jackie's Spark Brilliance Leadership Program. Believe in yourself, lead yourself, make sure that you, the way you talk to yourself, uh, you're giving yourself the best chance to succeed. You're not put, placing limits on yourself, whether they're reasonable or not, but you're going, you're going for it. Number one, lead yourself. Number two is why not more? Make sure that you have big enough goals because if you're reaching, if you're reaching for something that's too attainable, you're not going to push yourself. You're not going to go outside the box. And then the third one is, is why not us? Why not win as a team? Why not lead the team, lead the culture and make sure that you're going beyond yourself you're going beyond big goals uh, but you're starting to to really lead the people around you not only by how you act uh, but also by what you say and what you do
0: so let's go back a little bit to, we mentioned it before but i want to dig into it deeper Let, let's talk about resilience and i'm trying to imagine you know everything you've worked so hard you described earlier how hard you worked and you had this dream and you do this and then you you, you you get there and then somebody tells you no it's not going to work we're going to send you back down or we're going to trade you to another team or we want you to do something different and um, you know there's very few people in the world that could have that done to them 26 times and still be uh, strong how do you how do you deal with that and and how do you become so resilient that you just keep your your goal going forward and, and you keep doing what you're doing.
1: Oh man, it's hard. It's hard. The for the first couple of times I, I didn't deal with it as well as, as I could have. And with experience and maturity, personally, I started to realize number one, that it wasn't personal. The team ultimately is trying to make the best decisions for that organization to get back to the win the world series uh, for the next time. So their short-term, their long-term goals just didn't have me in the mix for that immediate time. And Number one, I tried to not take it personal. Number two, I tried to take ownership for my role in it. If you can own the things that you don't like in your life, then you can also own the things that you want to get towards. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, well, to explain that a little bit further. So what you're saying is that, you know, it's easy to own things you do really well. But uh, what you're saying is if you make a mistake or you didn't perform at a high enough level or whatever, you own that as well.
1: If there's something that is not the way you like it, if there's something that is not that has you where you don't want to be, it's so easy to make excuses or to blame something else or to, to be like, oh, well, it's realistic. I don't know why that happened. It was bad luck. It was bad timing. But if you can own every part of it, if you can own and take responsibility for even the things you don't like, then you will give yourself permission take ownership and take responsibility for changing your life to be the way that you do want it you know when when high school kids ask me what's what's your best advice from your career that you could share with me i always tell them the same thing i say that the back of your baseball card those stats do not care about context if you hit 300 in the major leagues which is a a good batting average it doesn't matter whether you only face the worst pitchers on the other team or you only face the best pitchers on the other team. If you have 10 home runs or 100 strikeouts, nobody cares whether you only play day games or night games or you only play travel days or against Cy Young winners. When you get to your your end-of-your-year review with your manager, your manager doesn't care that the legal department scheduled 19 compliance trainings. They care did you hit your numbers or not. So if you can take ownership of the good and the bad, then you could start taking responsibility for getting yourself to the good things that you want. Also. Yeah,
0: that makes a lot of sense. Do you think a, a good baseball manager
1: would make a good business leader? Um, yes, I do. And here's why, because the best, the best two managers that I played for in the major leagues were Terry Francona and Buck Showalter. And the things that I can tell you that I liked about them as managers had nothing to do with their management of a baseball game. I loved that they made me feel important. They made me feel like I was an invaluable part of the team, whether I was the first player on the 25-man roster or the 25th player on the 25-man roster. Any manager in any field can always surround themselves with experts, but being an inspirational leader that makes people feel motivated and makes people feel valued—that can go in any field.
0: Yeah, good point. So, what's your uh, what's your take on Major League Baseball these days? Um, are you uh, do you think they're heading in the right direction? Are, are things going well? Is it a you know it's always been America's favorite sport, but is that still true today? And will that be true in the future? Well, give me your take on Major League Baseball.
1: <laughs> um i think that uh the changes the commissioner made were not popular with the players but the fans seem to appreciate the new style of play so i think uh, stolen bases coming back is exciting home runs coming back is exciting the faster pace is exciting um i don't know i i hope people appreciate baseball because i i love it so much and i just i just want to share that with as many people as possible
0: yeah yeah that's great so what's uh Uh, I I also know that you do some keynote speaking and you go around and and, uh, maybe do some workshops. Tell us a little bit about what you do outside of your coaching job.
1: My main priority when I do keynotes is that I want to help people. I want to inspire people to think that if if this guy that is a slow runner and bad at defense that had no arm could become one of the best baseball players in the world, well, I can accomplish my goal. And if I can share my story of, of resilience and overcoming obstacles, uh, and and share the lessons that I learned along the way, I really hope uh, that people can can have takeaways from it to overcome every obstacle they come across in their life. Uh, and then with my with my coaching, I really really enjoy working with teams and seeing seeing how fast teams can make changes and, and make really really meaningful changes for both the leader, uh, the team, and the company's bottom line. And that's why I really believe in the Spark Brilliance Leadership Accelerator training uh, and the workshops that we do with that also.
0: And how do you get your clients? Uh, are you self-marketing or is it just word of mouth or does the organization itself bring you clients? Tell me how you get to the point where you work with a client.
1: It's really yeah, word of mouth and self-marketing. And you can, you can find me on all the social media platforms ryan lavarnway i'm not hard to find or you could see us on our on our website sparkbrilliance.com or or ryan we try to be easy to find and easy to work with and and again we always our number our number one priority is to make sure that everything we do is backed by the most up-to-date and latest scientific research and that everything we do positively affects the leader the team, and the company's bottom line. If if it doesn't hit all three of those criteria, uh, it doesn't go in my keynote, it doesn't go in our workshops, and it doesn't go in the Spark Brilliance program.
0: When you look back on your Major League Baseball career, again, very few people get to experience that. But when you look back on yours,
1: what are you most proud of? Oh, man, that's that's tough, because, like I said, the 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 three different categories, the the things that I'm proud of personally are are not giving up. There's there's so many times that it would have been easy to say, you know what? I had a great career. Let's let's go home now and do something that feels a little easier. But for as long as I felt like I still had good baseball in me, for as long as I felt like I still had more left in the tank, I fought. And I fought hard every day and I'm really, really proud of that. Uh, And then two, as far as influencing others, I'm really proud of the relationships I've built and and the teammates I've had and, and the, the positive impact that I'd like to think I left on others. And and people have, uh, you know, told me how much certain things that I I did or said helped them. Uh, And then there's times where I get really nice messages from fans like, Hey, you were so nice to me uh, back in Pawtucket or you you signed my card and spent five minutes with us in Indianapolis or um, you built a relationship with me when I was in the children's hospital and I was waiting for a kidney transplant. Those, those moments where putting on a baseball uniform was akin to putting on a superhero cape and I got to affect people in a really positive way that I didn't even know at the time but it meant a lot to them. I'm really, really proud of just the positivity that was spread throughout my career.
0: And I often wonder, too, you know, when you've had a a career in professional sports like that and it's been such a, you know, like I said, a superhero experience and and it's just something that very few people get to do. uh, I imagine it's probably a bit of a letdown when you have to give that up and and go back into, you know, other parts of – um, your life. Is that, is that something you struggle with or, or do you just, uh, you're just excited about the next step?
1: Uh, I'm the type of person that, that tries to make the best out of every situation. So, uh, I don't, I don't like to think that I had to put my superhero cape away. I like to think that, uh, now I'm pursuing the next opportunity. Yeah.
0: Well, that's a definitely a good way to look at it. So Ryan, when you anticipated our discussion today, is there anything I haven't asked you that you think would uh, be good for our listeners to hear?
1: I don't think so, Steve. I think you did a really good job. What do you think? Yeah.
0: Well, I, I think it went extremely well, but I, I always ask that question because, you know, I've done, uh, gosh, probably 175 of these uh, interviews now. And, uh, you know, one time, maybe halfway through, I, 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 I turned off the record and I said, uh, wow, well, is there anything I didn't ask you? And he says, well, you know, yeah, I, I should have t- I should have told you about how I spent um, you know my high school years in a in a homeless shelter. I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, let's let's turn it back on and, and do that because it was such a big part of the story that we didn't include. So I just got in the habit of always asking that question because you just never know. You think you're you're heading in the right direction with the right questions, but you know sometimes um, you know you, you don't ask the right question. So that's why I, I always ask it. So,
1: yeah, and and how was was the message? What you hoped uh, for your listeners to hear?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I I think that you know again, as I said, it, it's easy. It's easier, especially those that have played sports, to make the sports analogies and and convert that into the business world. But I think it's uh, it's harder to to implement that, you know, and and it's not exactly the same. And you know, it's not just about the the win of the day or or the season you know it's 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 a bigger picture so um, I, I think you explained it extremely well how you know you start with those same goals and same attitudes but it is different and I think you mentioned too which I 100% agree with is communication is everything and so uh, in the business world you just have to be a um, you know the better communicator you are the more success you're gonna have in my opinion. Absolutely So uh, usually at this time in the interview, Ryan, I I ask another common question. That question is, in relation to leadership, uh, what is a pearl of wisdom that you could leave us with today?
1: A pearl of wisdom. I I, I always get this question and I I think, what could I have used when I was 22 years old Uh, now that I'm 36 looking back on it? And the biggest thing is there are going to be times in your life and your career and your pursuit of your dreams, where you are put in a position to succeed and you're in the driver's seat. And there are going to be other times where you're put in a position to fail and you have this giant mountain in front of you succeed anyway, whether it's easy, whether it's hard, whether you have all the help in the world, whether you feel alone succeed anyway, because Again, at the end of the day, the stats on the back of your baseball card don't care about context.
0: You know, in listening to your story, there's uh, definitely hard work and persistence, uh, you know, comes out. Um, is that level of hard work that it took for you to get to Major League Baseball, is that sustainable in your life?
1: I'd like to, I'd like to hope so. Um, I, I, Like I mentioned earlier, I, I retired from professional baseball this year. And my wife threw me a retirement party and she got me this wonderful legacy uh, book. It's like, I don't know how to describe it other than saying it is like the scrapbook your mom made you when you were a kid on steroids. Uh, uh, it's it's a company, it's called the best of legacy. And what they did was they, there's an iPad on the inside of the front cover that has a lot of my video highlights from my career. And then the rest of the book is filled with newspaper clippings uh, from my 15 years of baseball career. And they sorted through and chose just the positive ones, which I really appreciate. (laughs) Um, But as as I sorted through this book, uh, it was very interesting to see some of the quotes uh, from when I was 17 years old in high school, when I was 19 years old in, in college. And just hear how my personality and, and the public persona that I interview as has changed. But the one thing that never changed was that every time I was quoted or a coach was quoted talking about me, they said two things. Number one was the how unlikely it was that I was having the success that I was having. How unlikely it was. And number two was that every success that I would ever have, I would earn because I was the hardest worker they ever had play for them. And that made me feel so good. To look back, you know, years and years, over a decade and a half after that had happened, um, to, to, feel, to feel good about earning it and to feel good about um, working really, really hard consistently to get there. And that is how I can own my story. You know, whether it's success or failure, I talk about owning it, take responsibility for it. That's how I took responsibility, and that is how I encourage everyone I talk to to take responsibility for their success as well.
0: And I think it's amazing, too. You just said it. I mean, 15 years in the major league, major leagues, I mean, I don't know what the average is, but I'm sure it's not 15. So not only did you play and you got a World Series ring and you you got to have some amazing things, but you, you did it for 15 years. That's got to be unusual, and uh, that's got to be a huge accolade to put in your belt
1: thank you i really appreciate that steve yeah
0: well ryan this has been uh, a, a real pleasure uh, it sounds like you've had a wonderful journey and experienced some amazing things and uh yeah and lived the dream i mean yeah you're right every five-year-old kid wants to be a major league baseball player and so very few get to so uh you did it you performed well and uh sharing with us uh some of those uh learnings that you had along the way and some of those experiences you had and now converting that into the business world i think uh will help a lot of people and uh, you'll inspire a lot more going forward. So thanks for your time today. I really appreciated talking with you.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Steve, for having me. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of Profiles in Leadership. To listen to all my interviews, subscribe to Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and many other popular podcast platforms. Some of these interviews are on video, and you can search YouTube for Profiles and Leadership with Steve Anderson. You can also access the entire library of interviews on my website, orange.coaching.com, and that is orangetheword.coaching.com, and go to the Media Center and click on Podcasts or Video Gallery. You can also enter the website from pilpodcast.com.